Florida Basketball Hour is brought to you by the Gatorverse. Gatorverse.io, G-A-T-A-V-E-R-S-E.io is an innovative approach to NIL. It connects fans, athletes, and merchants with digital and physical collectibles to verify community membership and grant access to exclusive privileges, VIP events, rewards, and experiences, and athletes receive a majority of the revenue from sales, uh, that are done by the Gatorverse, which means that it's NIL the way it's supposed to happen because the majority of the money goes right into the pockets of our student athletes. That's the way it's supposed to work. They sponsor Florida Basketball Hour. I'm a member. I've loved my membership. You will too. Join Gatorverse today. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, I'll be joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. No surprise there. Uh, we will break down everything that happened in Florida's 82-76 loss at South Carolina. Fourth game this season where the Gators lost a lead of 10 points or less in SEC play. Um, Florida befuddled by the Gamecocks zone. They switched to the one, three, one. I asked Lamont Paris about it after the game. He said, uh, Eddie Shannon, Gator great. Eddie Shannon had the scout. They obviously saw that Florida had been weak against zones for a few weeks and given up some comebacks when people implemented a zone and they planned on using it in the second half. It was just a matter of when um, they practiced it. Uh, and it worked. So we will get into why. Um, and then I think we're going to have to talk about Florida's defense, too, because, like, I don't think uh, – we have a good a good listener and tweeter, Dustin Kent, um, who tweets at the show, knows a lot about ball. And one thing he pointed out was, like, a lot of this is kind of irrelevant, given that eventually Florida made a couple shots against the zone if Florida doesn't give up 51 points in the second half, but, but Florida did give up 51 points. So as a result, you know, this, a lot of this is irrelevant stuff isn't irrelevant because Florida gives up so many points and they end up losing the game. Um, so you can't give up 51 and a half on the road um, against a team that hasn't scored 51 and a half all year. Um, can't do that. Uh, can't turn the ball over eight times in 11 minutes against the zone defense. Um Usually when you think of a zone defense, even a 1-3-1, you don't think of like, hey, look at all the turnovers we produce in our zone. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot there's a lot going on as I welcome in my man, Eric Fawcett, uh, who is kind enough. We're recording. This is like, how dedicated are we in March? We're recording at what is a late night for me um, after I had a four-hour airline delay, the commercial Ooh. of uh, – the glamour of commercial airline travel. I was about to say the commercial of glamour travel. So gives you an idea where I met. Um, yeah, it's own defense. It's a thing now, Eric. Yeah, I, I mean, if it wasn't before, um, it certainly is now. And I think that there's there's something to be said about even the fact that like like a key number to me of, of this one is is the fact that South Carolina had only played 29 possessions of zone the entire season. And that number almost doubled. Um, because of how much they played against the Gators. Um, in fairness, they did play it most, uh, the most they have played it in a game 
other than against Florida was against Texas A&M, a game they just won. So it was somewhat like, who knows, like maybe it's still, again, a more recent thing that they're going to stick to. Um, but to an extent, it's like this is not – they didn't run into – um, a, a, a Bayheim two, three team. And I'm not even saying that in terms of quality. Um, Cause I, and I don't say, you know, um, I, I just mean like, this wasn't a team that is um, super dialed in. Um, oh, we're late in the season and they know all the rotations out of this zone and are really tight with it. Like this is a team that's played 29 possessions of the zone and they just completely flunked the Gators. And I think that, um, the other thing that, uh, is, is something that I'm pretty sure is exactly as I mentioned on the podcast, um, Florida's zone offense has been very, very bad. Um, but the only reason it doesn't look horrendous is because they offensive rebound out of it. Um, they go essentially the entire second half without an offensive rebound. Um, Will Richard got one with what, 20 seconds left to break the no offensive rebounds in the, um, the second half. I mean, it almost functionally wasn't an offensive rebound because it was immediately thrown out of bounds, but yes, it goes down. But this is exactly what I've been saying. Um, Florida's has issues scoring and, and a lot of this has been against man as well, but it's been really bad against zone. And the only thing that has saved them is their offensive rebounding. Well, if they don't offensive rebound the ball, everyone saw what happened. And, and again, this is some of the process kind of related thing that that's kind of been, um, a story throughout the season in a number of ways. And I think a lot of people have looked at us as being maybe a little bit um, uh, down on a few things. And, and it's just one of those things that's like, like, like for them to lose in the way they did against South Carolina was like all the underlying um, stats and numbers and, and what you're seeing on film um, coming to light. Um, so again, it's like, Oh, their, their zone's not very good. Um, but the numbers actually say that it's horrendous. They're just offensive rebounding. Oh, they don't offensive rebound. It, 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 yeah, it, it, and they end up losing. They're, or they're not able to score. They end up losing. So, uh, and then I think it's just one of those things as well. And I mean, it even ties into, and I know some people were arguing about this on, on Twitter and in, in, in one of Malik's group chats about um, the double digit leads that are continuing to evaporate for, for Florida. And, and some people are like, hey, there's, you know, um, it's, it's really, really hard to, to hold a double digit lead in the sec because there's some explosive offenses. And then, and that's a legitimate, um, it's a legitimate point, but I think for me, that's where the, the process comes in. Um, to me in this game, uh, it's, it's not that they blew a 10 point or double digit lead. It's the way that they blew that lead. Uh, same thing as Ellis against LSU. It wasn't like these teams are just like, like this was not a all out, explosive offensive performance for South Carolina. I don't think it was poor defense and the fact that Florida can score on the other end. And I think you can kind of look at some of these bigger, other bigger problems. And like, there's, there has been so much like, okay, the result is, is one thing, but like, you've got to look at the process a little bit and how it happened. Does losing to Virginia at a neutral site, um, is that inherently bad? No, it's not. The way it happened, pretty bad. Does losing to Wake Forest on the road, is that a bad loss? Well, I mean, actually no. You know, ending up looking a little bit worse. Maybe we'll see if they, they make the dance. But, they're a different but, team at Joel, to be yeah. fair. But like, yeah, I get you're still not yeah. wrong. But. Yeah, no, after it, and then it's like, and some people are like, oh, it's a loss to Wake Forest on the road. That happens. Well, it's the way that they lost that that is a problem. And we've been saying this all year, even with some of the losses. Ooh, it's not like these losses aren't bad on paper, but the way they lost. That, that process is bad. Or even in some of the wins that we maybe didn't give as much credit to the team for uh, as a lot of people did. We're like, hey, they, you know, hey, full credit that they gutted it out. But like there's issues. 
um, then then you go against South Carolina with every opportunity um, to win a game against uh, a, a team that, hey, um, I think there's some debate and still ongoing debate just about how good that team actually is um, and trying to uh, separate talent from how good a team is. Um, but yeah, the fact of the matter is I, I just, it's, it just seemed like the, the issues uh, that have been showing themselves in a number of ways, they just all came to a head and, and we, that, that seems to happen every March. Um, your biggest issues get spotlighted. The biggest things you're best at get spotlighted. Um, and uh, unfortunately the, the, the Gators limitations in a number of ways um, were, were, you know, completely outshone um, what they do well. And uh, yeah, so a, a little bit of a frustrating one, one that they let slip and uh, you know, when, and, and something that has you tweeting out numbers about blown double digit leads from, from the uh, show account. Yeah, man. For um, Tony Agolini, longtime listener asked me if that was normal in the sec and tweeted, I mean, I don't know. Again, this could be from something that I, I'm not privy to. I think I'm in one group chat with Malik. I haven't been invited to the other ones. Um, but I will say that there, there were a couple of people who were like, is it harder in the shot clock era to hold these leads and This with the shot clock being what it is? And it's like, no, not to the extent that Florida has blown them. And again, those are just the four losses. That's not uh, mm. the huge, the huge 21 point lead against Georgia that slipped that Florida won in overtime, the 23 point lead against Miss state that got down to five with three minutes to go. And yeah, Florida pulled away in that game, sort of, kind of. Um, and that's a nice win. Uh, but, you know, again, never really should have gotten that close. Like there's no excuse for some of the the defense that allowed Josh Hubbard and Miss State to like climb back in the game. Um, the LSU game where uh, the like comical homage to Florida basketball hour takes about floaters is the reason that like Florida doesn't have to go to overtime and and probably would have lost it overtime, to be honest, uh, the way that the momentum had entirely shifted in that game. Um, so those are three other games where Florida just blew uh, gargantuan leads um, and, and still managed to win the game, of course, but those leads were leads nonetheless. And it's, you know, so contrast that to Florida, which is a good offensive team from an efficiency standpoint right, and played pretty good offense for 30 minutes against South Carolina. Um, and I, that again, that's just numbers bear that out. Uh, you know, they bear out that Florida had three turnovers in the first four minutes. Then they had one turnover for 25 minutes. And then they had eight turnovers in the last 11 minutes. So there was a long stretch where Florida was playing really good, efficient basketball in Columbia. That's how they build a 10-point lead. Again, there was also a really good stretch of defense uh, in that game. But Florida has not sustained defense for 40 minutes, and Florida's offense has not negated big leads of their own. Now, I guess to Florida's credit, they don't fall way behind very often. But in the games they have, the only one they won was Kentucky, where they erased a 10-point lead at Rupp against a team that doesn't guard. We just saw yet another example of why they don't guard. Uh, when they gave up a hundred or something or whatever it was to Arkansas <laughs> this weekend, uh, they have zero interest in playing defense, um, even maybe even more so than Florida. So I think those are points that Eric made. And, and you know, I think what was frustrating about this one for me watching, I, I was in Columbia. I talked to Lamont Paris. I talked to Todd Golden. We'll get into some of that. Um, and I guess the cool thing about being at this game um, and shout out to Chris Harry, who I know, 
uh, listens from time to time. Chris, if you're listening, dude, again, um, I'm with you. I know you're grieving a, a good friend right now. So Chris wasn't up there. Uh, so I was pretty much it. I was the Florida media contingent at this game. So two of the questions that Golden were asked were by me. The rest were by South Carolina media, um, which includes Peyton Titus, who's a UF alum. But still, um, you know, I asked him about defensive consistency. I asked him about ball security issues. But uh, before I get into that, you know, the reason I asked about ball security issues was because I thought that Florida at least made a counter to the zone. Like for the first time and really for the I have not seen one that often, Eric. Um, and I thought this time they uh, they didn't do a very good job, like getting Zachary Davis out of the way at the top of the zone. But they did go smaller. And out of the first media timeout after South Carolina switched to zone, they ran a nice play, got Will Richard a really clean look, and it wasn't close. And I was wondering, like, in hindsight, maybe if he makes that, they get out of the zone immediately. Um, you can't be sure of that. Uh, what was more disquieting to me, I guess, Eric, was, like, they missed Riley Kugel on a couple of back screen cuts that I thought – were either easy layups or because it's Riley Kugel, who knows what actually happens. But like, those are the passes that you have to make. You have to be able to reverse the ball. You have to be able to hit back cutters. Um, Florida's not doing that. Um, and instead, I thought for the first time, really all seasons, Ian Pullen kind of dribbled into the teeth of the zone without much of a plan. And then Walter Clayton was just kind of an unmitigated disaster, which to Todd's credit, he said, Hey, you know, Walt shot us back into the game late after we had blown the lead. Um, but he also, you know, was a huge reason that that we were in the that situation in the first place. And Clayton owned it after the game and just was like, look, I, I can't have six turnovers. Like, that's just not acceptable. Um, but so I thought, like, hey, go smaller, get the ball into the corner, um, you know, move the ball, reverse the ball, hit back cutters. These are all good things to do against a 1-3-1, but Florida didn't execute them at all. Yeah, I think it started as, as well, with, like you said, with Davis at the top, who had like three kick balls, um, which was honestly amazing. Um, so I know some people were, were, again, on the Gator Country boards were like, how is that not a technical foul? And I'm like, hey, this is uh, this is defense right there. So, um, yeah, I thought that. And, and again, just the fact that he kept being able to just like punt guard to guard passes into the stands. Like, um, yes. again, it's just one of those things that's like, on, on these guard to guard passes, 35 feet from the hoop. It's like, um, not that they're bad passes to make. They're not even that dangerous. I mean, again, the worst thing scenario is a kick ball and you inbound from, from, uh, from sideline. But, um, and again, it's like a, a, another one of these things. And like, Neil, I'm, I'm glad you were at the, the game for this. So you missed this, but you know, the announcing team, which is, was, was, you know, some, some, some great people, but they're like, Oh, well, this is how you beat the zone. And like I always say, everyone knows the the one thing, how because every zone's got one way to beat it. You know, that's what we're led to believe from, from announcers. And uh, it was kind of funny to me because the thing they said is like, you got to get the ball below the free throw line. You got to get it to the corners. And it was so funny because like, that's exactly what South Carolina wanted because then they were trapping. And like for Riley Kugel, who was just a dead duck in the, in the corner because they were trying to bring the ball into him and then trap. Right. Him. And I could, and again, I'm not, I, I shouldn't say like, Hey, the announcers did exactly what Florida tried to do. Your first thought against these zones prototypically is, Oh, you try to get it to the corner. 
Um, but it's just like the teams that are really good at playing one, three, one, that's exactly what they want. That's where you can trap. It's very difficult to trap the guard spots. Um, it's very difficult to handle things once the ball gets into the middle, but the corner is exactly where you want the ball. Um, so I did think it was kind of funny that Florida and the announcing team both thought, Oh, we should probably try to get it to the corners. And uh, that just played exactly into, into South Carolina's hands. And um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things too, that I, I think like, again, like, We've, we've talked about this before and I'll, I'll say it again. I just wonder if Todd Golden and who's, who's never played zones really um, going back to even, even San Francisco. Um, if he's, I, I just always thought, and I see it firsthand with so many coaches, this isn't just what could be the case with Todd Golden, but a lot of coaches that aren't comfortable enough to play, to teach his own, to play it. They're certainly not comfortable enough to know how to go against it. And it almost, to me, goes hand in hand. If, if you don't know a zone well enough to play it, how can you know it well enough to beat it? And, you know, if you uh, let talking about defense, if you're like, oh, this team's really bad defensively, you might say, oh, they're a bunch of pylons out there. It was kind of funny to me because, like, the zone offense equivalent was almost like pylons. Because if you're a team trying to play one three one, the first thing you do is you put out the dice look, the, the corner, corner, guard, guard, middle, and you practice your shell drill out of that. So I'm not yeah. saying the Gators were were – offensive pylons out there but like they were playing shell drill like this was like exact like they just played into exactly what i'm certain um south carolina has done every single practice when when they have played their zone which i'm sure is not every single practice because they don't play it a lot they go guard spot guard spot corner corner um put that big in the middle go dice look and they practice trying to keep that ball moving and they practice trying to put it in the corner and what does florida try to do go guard to guard throw it to the corner and south carolina was just ready to pounce on it so um yeah, it's it's hey, like it's one of those things that I, I think that South Carolina's execution of the zone was fantastic. I would say of the um and again, every zone's a little bit different. Like most most teams that play one three one would actually have the the lower man who's just underneath the hoop. Oftentimes that would be a guard. Actually, I mean, hey, Flo Billy Donovan did this forever. Um, you know, people will remember Scotty Wilbekin would be the bottom of that one three one. And because, and the reason you put your smallest player right under the hoop is because he's responsible to go corner to corner in the traditional one, three, one zone. Um, but South Carolina had their center there, which makes yeah. you a little bit more, which actually does make you a little bit more vulnerable when the ball is moving up side to side. So that's why they tried to keep it on one side and trap. So they did play it a little bit differently than the conventional one, three, one, and they did it super well. So I do want to give them full credit. But I also think when they saw what Florida was trying to do, it was like, oh my goodness, this is shell drill. Like, this is exactly what we, like, this is, this is, you know, like I, I, I it's just one of those things. And you never know is when you coach zones, it's, you, you, it's, it's hard to cover every single offense and you never know exactly how alignments are going to work. And oh right. man, when your opponent plays exactly what you, what you hope they would, um, it, it works really well. And it's, again, it's not like South Carolina could have scouted this because I don't think Florida's played anyone who plays a one through one like this for sure. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that like South Carolina deserves a, a lot of credit. And again, it's just another data point that, um, it's like, whether it's a two, three, a three, two, one, three, one, th one, three, one with the, with the center at the back of it for an alternative, light, like whatever the zone is like Florida has just not looked good against it. So, um, it's, and, and it's, it's even funny. Cause I mean, we talked about it. We we're like, Oh, you know, how much is Florida zones problems even going to hurt them? Because the best teams in the sec don't really play zone. And like, you know, you get to the NCAA tournament, like, I don't know, like maybe you're right into a mid-major team that plays zone, but like, we'll see what seed Florida is. And then South Carolina who's played 29 possessions of zone has it in their back pocket, ready to, ready to bring out. So it's, uh, 
yeah, it's yeah. and when a team that plays 29 possessions of zone all game is um, plays it for much of the second half, um, this is the first time we've really seen a team that says, "Hey, we're not really a zone team, but like Florida's vulnerable, so let's let's try to take advantage of it." So, like, hey, does that happen again? Uh, it certainly certainly could. I don't think it's going to be Alabama, but uh, there's a number of other teams in the in the SEC that uh, that maybe busted out. Yeah, I don't know how many have the length that like Zach Davis does at the top of it, which I thought made a huge difference. And you referenced it, like, I, and there were Gator fans mumbling, you know, to me as after the game, uh, stopping by and saying hello and thank you to those of you that did that. Um, that was fun, but it said, "Oh man, how can they kick the ball so much?" And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you're. It's clearly intentional. Like he's definitely doing that on purpose, and. That's smart because all that results is a reset. And when he's doing it with 23 seconds on the shot clock, there is no impact of that other than Florida has to start over with less time on the shot clock. Um, yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought like putting wheel in one quarter was, was pretty smart, but like I said, he scuttled one three um, Riley. The one time he got trapped in the corner, turned the ball over uh, the other times, that I'm referencing, I thought he did a really nice job of cutting. I thought Kugel played a good game. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, as fans said lack of trust. I'm not going to speculate on any of that. Uh, Walt Clayton's turning the ball over really too much to hit a cutter, uh, to be to be honest. And uh, ZP, I mean, it's hard to see over. Florida also couldn't get the ball to the high post, which is another thing you can do, um, right? Like, talked about your shell drill like another thing you could possibly do is get the ball to the high post but when you're bothered by davis's length like florida really couldn't do that either um but i thought like the counter in theory going smaller is probably good um florida just wasn't able to execute uh those you know they weren't able to execute the counter that they decided to go with and hey credit to south carolina for that and look florida still wins this game um if they get stops and instead, they let Michi Johnson get into rhythm. And, like, look, I looked at Synergy and Hoopslands, my two go-to sites, because I wanted to see how many threes from 22 feet plus Michi Johnson had made from that spot beyond the elbow this year. And the answer is one. He was one for 23. And off the dribble this year on all his threes, he's been a very erratic shooter, under 20%. So, like – I'm not that mad at Will Richard for the contest. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Like, I have no problem with that contest. Um, what I think causes this is you let him get into rhythm, man. Like, you didn't guard him. You let him get into his mid-range game, which is how a guy like that gets confident and starts to cook. And, yeah, the referees called a couple bailout fouls on a Michi drive that let him go to the free-throw line and hit a couple more. But, like – this is on Florida for not guarding with the intensity you need to guard with on the road. And like, you can't give up 50 again, 51 points to a team that hasn't scored 51 points and a half. Like you would just put the worst defensive performance on paper against them of any team they played this season in the second half. You're not going to win that way. And like you people that want this team to go to the sweet 16 and say, Hey, they're really talented. They can go to the sweet 16 are right about the talent. But thus far, when we keep talking about defending for 40 minutes and how we haven't really seen Florida put 40 minutes of defense together, this is what we're talking about. And this isn't like, again, you can give up that many points in Tuscaloosa, right? Like Florida 
Eric said it best. He said, uh, I forget what you said, but like, I think Florida played maybe the 20 best minutes of defense against Alabama that anybody had played all season until this Tennessee game um, that they just played Saturday. Uh, and then Florida's second half, like Auburn scores like 60 in, in the second half in overtime. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I just don't think Florida played terrible defense in the second half the whole time against Alabama, but they played it long enough to let a lead slip away and lose. And this, if Florida gets stops, they win this game, but they couldn't get stops. Do you have uh... – points per could you find points per possession for just the second half i'm realizing i don't quickly have a way to do that but i'm thinking about yeah, like got it here. hold on because the fact that just the fact that south carolina like as we mentioned like south carolina is punting the ball around in their zone so florida had some long offensive possessions and south carolina plays slow so 51 points to to this team i'm i'm guessing it is a a rather crooked number but um just just yeah while while you look that up like and again, I, I, I am at, at, at the risk of getting into off-season conversations uh, too early. I, I'm really interested to know like what their reaction is going to be from a roster build standpoint because the fact that, like, and again, we've talked that Florida doesn't have wings. Um, so they certainly don't have a, a, a defensive-minded wing. But like, there was a time where Walter Clayton was just getting blown by off the dribble um, for layups. Then there was a time where – you know, and, and, you know, he was getting pulled. And then there was time where Riley Kugel um, didn't see the ball. So he was just staring right at his man. So we didn't see the ball was coming and the guy just grabbed it, ripped baseline and scored. And it's just like Golden's like looking up and down his bench. He's like, I, I, like, I don't have guys to go to right now. Like, I, I don't have anyone who can get a stop. And I do think that um, defense isn't, isn't all personnel. I mean, hey, we saw Florida defend last year with like, it's, it's, it's absolutely stunning to think um last year about the lineup that Florida had and still defended well. And I think like with the benefit of hindsight and some advanced numbers, we can see that the SEC was just so bad offensively last year that I think a lot of these teams numbers got boost. Um, that, and I think a lot of teams had looked better defensively than there actually were. Whereas this year, the SEC is much better offensively. And now you're seeing that like the Gators who I think, you know, I don't think anyone thinks are loaded with, great defenders, but would probably think they'd be better defensively than they are, um, are just getting cooked. Cause like Michi Johnson, who's like a good, but not great offensive players going off against them. So um, yeah, just one of those things that like Florida just has no one to go to, um, to try to get a stop. So when you've got Walter Clayton, who is also turning the ball over, but really not playing well defensively. And then Riley Kugel, we know he's had a little bit of a short leash. He had his problems defense. They're, like there's just, there's just no other options. So, uh, it, and again, it's just like another thing where um, it just seemed like there were so many, again, just like mental errors. There were so many times. There was one time out that I think that it was maybe more because Golden wanted to yell at the ref, but there was, it, but the immediate timeout was preceded with a position where like they were tossed. Like it, it, it looked like when you're watching an NHL team, and I don't know how many people watch hockey here. Um, but it would look like an NHL team on a power play, just tossing the puck around and, and just like the way that like defenses have to chase, like, it was just like long closeout guy gets in the paint, kicks it out, long closeout, kicks out. The guy gets into the paint. Um, and, and, and like the possession ended with like four or five Gators with their feet, like in the charge circle. Cause they were just getting scrambled and way over helped. And it was a wide open three. And it's just one of those things that like, Hey, like foot speed, isn't an issue with a lot of these guys focus level maybe shouldn't be an issue with some of these guys 
effort shouldn't be an issue with some of these guys. You just you just wonder how you can put up 51 points in the second half. And uh, and uh, 51 points looks bad, but I'm wondering if this points per possession number is going to look even more wretched. 1.55. Oh, my goodness. That is – yeah. So you, so at that point, I mean – The first half is got, 0.88, which is good. So you've got to think that um, – so someone who's a 75% free throw shooter who's average, um, so, you know, they get two 0.75 or, or, you know, they get like 75% chance at, at, at free throws. Like that's like a 1.5 points per possession game. So what Neil is saying is Florida could have intentionally fouled players the entire second half and would have given up less points than, than what the Gators did. And, you know, um, yeah, I mean, Todd, Todd was upset with the refs. Um, you know, he, he said, I asked him about consistent defense and he said, correctly, it's worse for us on the road. Okay. That's true. Uh, but then he cited free throw disparity. He said they shot 31 free throws. We shot 15. It's hard to beat a top 25 team on the road with that disparity. Both teams were pretty physical trying to get downhill in the paint, obviously, but they shot 22 free throws in the second half. We shot 10. That's a really big delta to try to close. I guess I have to do a better job of teaching my guys to defend without fouling. Obviously, these other teams were playing are great at defending without fouling. And so that last sentence was a little tongue-in-cheek, and it was almost as if Todd kind of um, – it was – I mean, Todd's a smart guy. He's thoughtful. You know, I think he was suggesting that that uh, South Carolina didn't – they got – we were the beneficiaries of some whistles. And, and that might be true. Again, not why Florida lost. Um, I, I mean, did, did, did Florida – get the ball in the paint against and, the zone once in the, well, that's, that's in the, the second there, half. There I mean, yeah, I mean, I already referenced, like, Florida did not get the ball to the high post. Uh, they mostly tried to circulate the ball between two guards. They forgot that they had a third guard on the floor, who, again, I thought played a good game. And I we talked last – I don't want to talk about him tonight. I thought he played good, though. Uh, Ten points, three rebounds. He had two turnovers in 30 minutes, like – Miss me with the turnover machine stuff when he had four or less turnovers in the same number of minutes that Walt had. Like, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I, I get that they're different roles and Walt's obviously got the ball a lot more, but maybe he shouldn't have um, against this zone. Maybe Walt, maybe Riley Kugel should have been up there with Zion Pullen um, because at least Riley was attacking the paint with the basketball again on Saturday. I mean, I think there, there are reasons that Florida lost this game that just too many of them that didn't have to do with the officials. By the way, the only other team that played one, three, one at all was Miss state for six possessions. Why do I know that? Because that's the attention to detail that Lamont Paris's staff has. Cause I'm wow. doing a feature on South Carolina for uh, Saturday down South. I got to talk to Lamont a little after the game, which is why I went down there actually. And um, Eddie Shannon, Gator great Eddie Shannon had the scout and he said, hey, uh, you know, Florida's – the comebacks that they've given up have come largely against zones. Um, but he goes, I'm really interested in this one through one that Miss State threw at him where Florida didn't score for six possessions. Mm. So um, Lamont Paris said, my eyes lit up and we practiced it. <laughs> um, 
that's fantastic. That's a cool coaching story. Um, and it's why I did kind of grin at some of the people who are like, if you don't play zone against Florida and you're a coach, it's malpractice. And I'm like, well, maybe, but it's a little more detailed what South Carolina decided to do. Like they chose a specific zone and played it for a specific reason and it worked. And so they got um, a quad one win, quad one B, I guess, as the committee would say. Um well, you definitely and, uh, were just—you definitely just did a podcast with Rocco to be using that. Yeah, time. Quad One B, baby. But uh, yeah, I mean, so Florida, Florida loses and, and Florida misses on on a Quad One, and and I don't think the Gators because these things don't happen in a vacuum. Like Florida doesn't lose a seed line and go from like a six on bracket matrix where they were Friday to like a seven where they are today, just because they lost this game. But other stuff happens around Florida. And now, you know, they're seven and, and potentially could fall to an eight again, I think, if uh, they don't win a couple games here down the stretch. You certainly can't lose the quad three game next Saturday. But I think the most important game that they'll play uh, is the rematch with Alabama Tuesday night. Yeah, I think that this is exactly what you want if you're the Gators to to get to play Um well, a, a number of things like one, you, you want the opportunity. Obviously, you just want uh, you want chances to put up uh, quality wins. And, and it's just crazy. Like as much as Alabama has, um, you know, there's people who believe in them based on their metrics. There's people who don't believe in them based on their resume. There's also people who don't believe in them based on how they play and uh, the eye test. Um, but whatever you want to say, like they've still like even taking some losses, they're still like eighth in the net or seventh or eighth in the net. Um, I forget what it updated this morning. Top 10 in the net, quad one opportunity for the Gators. Um, so, and that's just what you, you know, want. And it's one of those things that like, even with, with Auburn, when the Gators beat Auburn, um, there's a lot to suggest that Auburn is not very good. Well, the net has them is very good. And that's what matters, you know, or, you know, most of what matters. So uh, I, I think it's the exact opportunity um, the Gators want. And if you wanted to make it even sweeter, if you're going to take on a team that is a top 10 net team, um, you probably want one that a lot of people don't think is actually that good um, because of their resume. That's Alabama. And you also want a team that's not playing very well. So we know that uh, um, to uh, to beat the Gators in, in, in overtime was was good, but um, they were expected to win that game by more, favorites win by more. Um, they then went on to lose to Kentucky where they gave up 117 points in regulation. Um, they then beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss is in a slide. Um, they've lost six of seven. And then they just lost to Tennessee in one of their first games in a month and a half, two months, where their their offense really, really struggled. So um, yeah, so this is a, an Alabama team that's that the Gators obviously played very competitively, who has went on to lose two of three games, and uh, now the game's in Gainesville. So I think there is a, a a lot that breaks very favorably um, for the Gators. And uh, yeah, I just, it's, 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 I'm not saying this when I say it's just what the doctor ordered, I'm not saying yeah. it's because it's going to be an easy game for the Gators, but like you, I would say if you could say, if you could tell the Gators, okay, you can literally play anyone in the league right now, who would you take? It's probably the team that is very good in net. That's not playing very well in Gainesville. Well, that's who they have. So it, it, it's, it's, it's really what the Gators need right now. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see who can, uh, you know, make the adjustments or I, I don't even know if it's an adjustment thing or who's just going to play a little bit better. And Alabama is going through the same issues that the Florida is where they, um, they can score a lot of points, 
Um, but the, the, the defense is, is very poor and it's almost, they're almost like an extreme Florida where their offense is much better, but their defense is like way worse. And yeah, and NATO and NATO is just fear. Like NATO is at the point of really calling out his guys um, in press conferences. So um, that's where things are at for Alabama. So yeah, I would say that, uh, yeah, this is uh this is one the Gators, uh, um, the Gators are getting just what they needed on, on Tuesday. Yeah, and I'll add, like, so I thought Florida-South Carolina was a pretty high-level basketball game, honestly, for large portions of it. Um, and, again, there's not any shame in losing high-level basketball games. Like, But we're trying to parse out now that it's March. Like, we're parsing out, like, what differentiates, like, this Florida team, which looks like a team that's probably not going to lose in the first round, and a Sweet 16 team. And, like, Florida didn't do the things you need to do to get to the Sweet 16. Um on Saturday. And now they get an opportunity to play the Alabama team that I think most people think will at least make the sweet 16 and, and could go farther. But also the way they guard, it wouldn't surprise me if they had kind of a dog fight in round two, too. Uh, they're not going to lose in round one. They're too good offensively. And they're too good at imposing their tempo. will, which reduces the like variance problem that sometimes the giants have their giant killer score, like Florida's will probably be pretty low. Um, that said, they made some like interesting adjustments in that Tennessee game. And by the way, I think playing Tennessee is yet another, you mentioned it kind of, and just to add to what you said, like I think playing playing Alabama at home after they have a dogfight with Tennessee, that's kind of an emotional game for the conference title sort of, um, is another huge advantage. I mean, it's hard to get yourself up again. And, you know, Alabama, speaking of blowing a big lead, like, you know, Alabama led that game by – they never led by double digits, but I think they led by eight in the second half. Um, they did. Yeah, they led by eight with 12 minutes to go. Um, so they were right there, and they held Dalton Connect to nine points and kind of made life hard on him. That And that's the, – so the defensive adjustment that they made, which I thought was interesting, was they really stayed attached to shooters, which they haven't always done this season. Um because of the Grant Nelson and Pringle problem underneath, right? Like they kind of sag and try to help their paint. And they just said, we're not going to do that today. We're just going to stay attached to all of Tennessee's shooters, in particular Ziegler and Connect, and let the chips fall where they may. And like Zakai, Ziegler, and Meshack, uh just ate. Like they just got into the paint and ate them alive in the second half. And like, I don't think that they'll do that to Walter Clayton either. Cause I honestly, I think Zion Pullen will eat that alive at home as well. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's going to be interesting on, on that front. And again, it's like one of those things where the Gator guards were, were playing pretty good. So, and uh, it's also like one of those things where we talked about how the, the Gators don't really have a guy that it's like, okay, who do you go and just try to slow someone down? Like that's kind of the Alabama thing as well. So I'm glad you mentioned some of those guys did step up a little bit. Um, so that, that'll be something definitely looking forward or not forward, just looking out for. Um, I'm also really interested, like Latrell Wrightsell, um, who did not play against the Gators. I think we talked about it on the podcast um, that we thought it could be um, a loss. I think he was warming up against yeah. Tennessee and didn't play. Um, not that he's a, defensive stopper but i think it's just like made oats is just like ready to put anyone else out there to see if they can guard but but i mean he's a starter for them um because he shoots 45 percent from three um which i which i was really thinking about um on some of those early possessions 
um, against Alabama the first time around where like Alabama shot four or five threes in the same possession and kept getting offensive rebounds and the misses just kept getting like more and more comical um, where it just seems like when you watch Latrell right sell, it's just like the ball just like magically finds him wide open. Like you're just like, how is a, it's one of those guys that all the shots you make, you're like, how is he so wide open for someone who's a 45% three point shooter? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll see even on the Dalton connect um, thing to, to slow him down was very impressive for particularly for a defense that isn't good. I actually thought that it was like, uh, like putting smaller guys on him that kind of can play, underneath him and make him uncomfortable I thought worked out pretty well and um yeah it's like he's able to you know hypothetically go and and and, and score in the low block but it's like a lot of teams don't want to get out of what they're regularly doing to isolate a wing on on the block so yeah um, that worked out pretty well um but uh yeah it's it's uh it's gonna be interesting from from that that standpoint and and uh again I almost even found myself with uh in that first game against Alabama, like wondering, I like, I'm like, I don't even know who's best for them out at the five right now. Um, Grant Nelson, of course had, uh, which this, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, but the, the Gators once again gave up a season best or career game <laughs> to an, to an opposing front court player. Uh, 22 points was a Grant Nelson high for the year. He certainly had more than that. Um, playing in North Dakota State, but for this year it was a, it was a high. And then his last three games have been thirteen points, ten points, and three points. So um, yeah, I do think that was maybe like you can take it as you want. Was it an anomalous performance in the RJ Melendez for Georgia type situation, or is it a situation where the Gators didn't guard him very well? Um, maybe the answer lies um, somewhere between those things. But uh, it's uh, it's 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 also a game where. You know, I don't think Florida's front court played particularly well. So they didn't. how do they so how does you know how do they bounce back? And that's something that like you thought would be a strength in a matchup with Alabama. It was an Alabama out offensive rebound at the Gators, um, despite being undersized. Um Grant Nelson, of course, was able to go off. And uh Tyree Samuel ended up having some clutch ones late, but for much of the game and Alex Condon as well. But at the same time, for much of the game, they also were not impactful offensively. So, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, – you'd, you'd certainly like those to, – to know which of those guys can help defensively, um, particularly on, one, Grant Nelson one-on-one, but, two, it's like, okay, who can who can provide some help as a rim protector here for, for these downhill guards? Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, Latrell White's, Wrightsell, you mentioned, not really a guy that's going to move the needle for them uh, defensively. But he – you know, I mean, Alabama was 8 of 32 on their home floor. Uh, from three. Now, Eric and I have made the point, I think, a few times, including once earlier tonight, that Florida defended pretty well most of that game, um, which is something that they've done at times this season. I don't want to say they've defended pretty well most of the game most of the time. That's not true. But against Alabama, I thought it was pretty true. And I thought Florida's perimeter defense um, was very good against Alabama in the second half, and Mark Sears just made some incredible plays. Uh, to kind of will them back into the game in the paint. And then obviously Grant Nelson is a mismatch against like bigs that aren't terribly like mobile or that are just bigger. I thought Tyree Samuel would do better against him, to be quite honest. I think he should have. Like Grant Nelson is going to be a problem, period, for a Micah Hanlockton. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, those are like kind of the bigs that he would match up better against. 
So I kind of thought he might play well against Florida, but I did to Eric's point kind of thought, I thought that Florida's front court itself would play a lot better um, than they did. And obviously other than, than Reese late uh, Florida didn't, you know, Micah Hanlockton had some monster defensive plays and he had nine offensive rebounds in that game. Um, but I think Florida can, can do a better job on the glass. And I think they're going to have to, because I do, again, even though Alabama was eight of 32 at home, like I, it's hard for me to imagine them being eight of 32 in the O'Connell center too. Like, I think that they'll probably make nine or 10 threes. So, you know, if, if you can hold them to 10 threes, that's not a terrible night as long as some other things are going well for you. What was interesting, like against Tennessee, as you said, they use smaller guys, like, they used David Cosby, who like hasn't really played for them a ton. He didn't play against Florida in the first game. Like he was out there uh, bodying up connect. They had Rylan Griffin on him some, but Rylan Griffin is not interested in guarding anyone, let alone Dalton connect. So that wasn't like a thing they did a lot. It was usually like Cosby or Estrada. And then like later when Tennessee ran cross screens and just tried to post connect up, which I think is really pretty offense. Um, they like helped with Jaron Stevenson too. And Jaron Stevenson was up for that challenge to his credit. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't anticipate like Alabama to wake up and figure out how to play great defense on Tuesday night either. Like I just don't Eric. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's again, crazy, and I don't know if this is something to, uh, you know, it, but believe it or not, but yeah, they didn't shoot well against uh, the Gators. They also just did not shoot well against Tennessee where they were nine for 37 um, or 24% um, from three. So they're starting to, you know, that's, that's a couple games uh, in, in their last two weeks where they ha- have not shot the three um, particularly well. Um, they shot it, you know, Oh, and, and then, and then one of the like craziest things is they only shot 17 threes against, against Kentucky. And that was one of the success of a Kentucky defense that, uh, is uh, is 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 not great, but uh, yeah. So you you do wonder if three point shooting is um, like for a team that's so reliant on three point shooting, um, if it's uh, them not hitting it as a concern. I mean, again, it's like Latrell Wrightsell is like arguably their best three point shooter. Um, so for him to be on the bench, like that, of course, is going to going to matter. So yeah. uh, that's that's it's it's to to some extent it is just simple in in the, in that in that sense. You have to imagine if you take away six to eight of those three point attempts from a 33% shooter, like, um, like an Aaron Estrada. Um, and then you, you put those in the hand or, or Cosby, like you said, and you put them into a 45% three point shooters hands. Um, they're probably going to have a, a few more points, but, right. um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's like what team you believe in, um, more defensively is, is pretty interesting. Alabama 101st on Ken Palm. The Gators 88th um, for anyone who is who is curious. Um, I, I also did want to um, bring this up about Alabama's offense, just so people can like, um, like, like I just thought this was a crazy stat. So like something that like ad- admittedly I probably don't look at enough when it comes to Ken Palm is like the actual like numbers of the rating. Not because like, I think so much and people know who listen to the podcast that I just say, oh, Alabama's number one in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency. Oh, the Gators are 15th in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency. Um, But, you know, there is actual, like, numbers associated. So you actually can see, like, year to year, like – so, like, for example, when, like, Villanova won the national championship 
um, for the the most recent time, you could actually see that they were like the most dominant team in Ken Palm. Like they were just so far ahead of um, the next team because again, it's not just like um, rankings where it's one to three sixty two. It's you you can actually see like how much a team is different than each other um, in the actual number. So so Alabama's offense. So like I mentioned, they're um, they're currently number one in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency. They're currently third in the Ken Palm era, which is like 21 years, I think goes back to 1999. So like, this is like truly not just like an incredible offense. This is like, you know, quote unquote, a generational offense. I would say if you finish top three in the last that's totally 21 fair. years. Um, so it's like, it's actually like astonishing. And then you add in that they're 101st in, in defense. Like that's just like, um, it's, it's going to be fascinating because, and then I'll also say, and again, we're almost in bracket season, um, a team that is ranked, um, I forgot what the threshold was, but like a, a team as good as Alabama is offensively has never not made the final four. Um, however, I think that the defense is going to not disqualify yeah. a lot of people from thinking they're a final four team. And that would be totally reasonable. But like, I, I do just wonder, and again, playing Florida after they've lost two of three will be an interesting test or when they get right sell back, eventually it'll be an interesting test. Like, even, even when they're having like bad, like they just had a bad offensive game and they're still like one of the greatest offenses ever. So um, yeah, I just think it's like, it's uh, just, you know, thinking about how the Gators played them the first time around, what it's going to look like is just the fact that like, um, yeah, like don't, I don't want to say like take it for granted, but like, like keep in mind, this is like truly one of the greatest offenses ever. And I think yeah. that that is something that when it is largely, I think, as you put it, a mid-major all-star team, um, very, very impressive that these are non, like, I don't know if there's an NBA player um, on this team and they are having just a absolutely tremendous offensive season. So uh, yeah. What's what team between the 88th defense Gators and the 101st defense <laughs> Crimson Tide are going to be able to get stops or is it a situation where um, is it going to be the Gators offense that we think is somewhat dubious, but happens to be 15th in adjusted offensive efficiency or the team that's putting up, damn near generational numbers um you know who wins that one uh, i think the gators might be uh you know in tough so it's probably a situation where the gators need to find a way to uh uh to, to defend at least somewhat yeah no i picked florida to win so i'm gonna stick with florida to win um i'm not gonna back down from my bold prediction that florida would win this game i still think they will i mean yeah i mean your point so miami's offensive rating last year was 119 one and they were one of the 10 best offenses to get to the final four in the last decade. And Alabama's offensive rating is 127. So like, you know, and Miami had problems with stops similar to Alabama, but they also had like pros on their team. Whereas, well, I mean, Alabama has pros, NBA pros. Uh, there were, there were NBA players on Miami's team last year because they had Jordan Miller in his like perfect game. And, um, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Isaiah Wong, right? Uh, but it, they sure missed him this year when they couldn't create their own look uh, enough late in games, and they lost a bunch of close games, um, even with all the injuries. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it should be pretty fascinating. I think, you know, when you it, – it's one thing that's interesting to me is, like, that Alabama has nine losses. Like, that's how problematic their defense has been, despite – how electric they've been offensively. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Alabama's still playing for a double bye. Florida technically still has a outside a puncher's chance at a double bye. 
um, but but not a very good puncher's chance. It looks like the best Florida could do is be the five um, at this point. Right now they would be the six if the SEC tournament started today. So this is really more of an NCAA tournament seed line game for the Gators, uh, whereas Alabama still has a shot at a share of the conference title if they win, and they still um, – obviously have a shot at the one seed in the SEC tournament if things break their way or, or at a minimum the two seed, um, which it looks like, well, we don't know where Kentucky will finish, but I'm not sure Alabama wants to be in Kentucky's side of the bracket the way that they got run up by them a couple weeks ago. Uh, that might not be the best matchup for them because um, you're dealing with NBA electric offensive talent versus their mid-major all-star team offensive talent. And it was kind of, evident uh how lopsided that got nate nato it's his one and four in his tenure in uh senior day games on the road um the one senior day game how you like that stat that's an sid stat yeah, right there absolutely. yeah the, the one win for nate in a senior night game on the road was against tom green that doesn't count so nato it's his oh and four in senior night day games on the road not played against tom green yeah there you go Need to have that. Uh, need to quantify that um, for sure. So yeah, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you actually mentioned the SEC standings because it's probably something we have um, neglected. And and again, we can talk about that for a, a number of reasons. The fact that the I, I feel like people just care so much about the NCAA tournament that sometimes um, league play can be um, a little underrated. So uh, yeah, and it's also worth noting like the Gators are like two games ahead of. Mississippi State and LSU who are eight and eight. So it's like the Gators can't really drop. Like, like I, I don't even, I'm not yeah, sure. And they have the tie breaks. So. Yeah, they have tie. So like, I'm pretty, yeah. So like six is as low as the Gators can finish, which is, um, um, hey, is that where we had it on the preseason ballot? I forget. Six we or seven. Six, we had them six or seven. Yeah. I mean, don't look at the rest of our picks, I suppose. But uh, I think I was, because I was, a, I was a Texas A&M believer but uh yeah as we we did get the gators um pretty well and and uh again maybe this is more off-season conversation i do think with the benefit of well we saw it coming and now we can look with hindsight um the schedule did break fairly well for the gators um and uh yeah tennessee who the schedule broke fairly difficultly for uh, still up there at the top of the league so i think that's been very impressive for Tennessee, but yeah, like for the Gators, it's like, Hey, you can't really drop any lower than six. Um, it's very unlikely for them to get up to four as, as you mentioned, Neil. So it's like, they're probably sixth, maybe fifth. Don't know if they have any, uh, any spot they'd rather be for, for bracketing purposes. Um, and I certainly don't think that they would like sacrifice the chance to win a game to be a better, uh, SEC tournament seed. Cause it's just, everything for the, for the big dance. So um, yeah, so that's, that's the, the standings breakdown, which we, we probably neglected. Um, but Hey, if you wanted to yeah, like the, the fact that Gators are almost certainly going to have a six or a five seed. Um, I think that that's something we would have signed up for before the season. Um, so, so that's pretty good. Um, you mentioned Miami. Um, I was just thinking about it, uh, how we, we saw that when the Gators beat or, you know, the other year when, when the Gators beat, North Carolina in a preseason scrimmage and everyone was like, wow, the Gators are so good. And then it found out that like North Carolina wasn't very good. And then this year the Gators beat Miami and Miami was supposed to be good. And everyone's like, wow, the Gators are going to be so good. And now Miami is <laughs> on a seven game losing streak at the end of conference play and have lost eight of their last nine. Um, oh. Yeah. I just, I just wonder if, uh, 
yeah, I wonder if we need to, everyone needs to take a little bit of a, a step back at, at, at secret scrimmage um, results um, because yeah. And, and Hey, maybe you could say the Gators are still where a lot of people thought, even when they were, um, even when they were, you know, pretty, pretty high on them uh, to, to go into the season. It's like, Hey, there's people that are pretty high on the Gators now. And I talked about in the last podcast, it's like the Gators are, and again, I, I, it's, it's just genuinely shocking me. The Gators like are not good by the metric or like, or sorry, I should, they're not, they're not, not good. They're not great by the metrics where they right. dropped once again and they don't have a great resume. And yet still there's a ton of people that are like, this is the second weekend team sleeper final four. I'm like, this has got to be the only team in national media that does, that is not good by the metrics or resume that people think is like a sleeper final four team. But Hey, um, after just years of complete irrelevancy for the Gators, uh, maybe you just take it and, and, and see what happens. So, um, but yeah, ta- you know, Florida wins this game. They're probably gonna get a lot more buzz for that. Like, Oh, like they took down Alabama. Like this could be a second yeah. type team. Um, and if they don't, um, the, the, Oh, are they able to like, you know, beat the, beat the best teams on their schedule. Um, that talk will, will continue. And, uh, senior nights can be weird. So you never know how that's going to, uh, going to affect things. So, and, uh, which at the same time that the face of senior nights has changed a little bit uh, or a lot. Um, one could say, it um, is. actually I even thought I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this. Like, um, someone actually brought this up on the Gator country forums. I believe, uh, it's in my head from somewhere. And, and it's just something I never thought of before. And, uh, um, I, I, I don't have an answer, but someone on the Gator country forums was like, when is the next time the Gators are going to have a four-year player? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. You know, like you could, like, obviously they've got some players that Golden brought in that could, you know, hypothetically be there for, for four years and they're willing to kind of wait their turn or whatever. But like, you always wonder. And uh, if they bring in higher level guys, um, they're probably not four-year college players. So, um, it was a very interesting, and he didn't even say it relative to senior night. He just kind of tossed it out as like a amusing, but at, on at, with, with thinking about the changing face of senior nights, um, it's and it just had me like watching. I was like, like that simple question: When is the next time the Gators are going to have a four-year player? I was like, oh, I like, I have no idea, and I, I was, I don't know if that's something you've ever thought about right. or even, but uh, yeah, man, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, we'll see, we'll see if Denzel Aberdeen sticks around. Yeah. Um, could be, could be Denzel could be, well, I guess if Jack may comes back next year, he would be a four-year player. Oh Obviously yeah. Not. Alex Klatsky. Right. There, I mean, Jack may is a junior. So, um, you know, he, but he's a redshirt junior, so he is a four-year player, hmm. whether he comes back and has a senior night, it's a different question. Uh, yeah. Alex Klatsky will be honored with, with ZP and Tyree Samuel, um, and maybe get just as loud of, of applause. <laughs> as as uh, as Reese and ZP do, I think this senior night will be kind of an interesting one because it will show like the whole thing that Kentucky fans used to like bristle at you on social media when you're like, "How can you enjoy a team that's full of one and duns?" They're like, "Oh, we we like these players pretty quickly," and so like this is sort of a taste of that for Florida, right? Like, I think there's a lot of Florida fans that are really excited to go to the game and honor Zion Poland. And he's been here for six months, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, three seniors for Florida, that's always a huge deal anytime, but like, yeah, I mean, the days of, of, uh, 
Udonis Haslam type uh, senior night. Shout out to Udonis Haslam, new Patreon member, by the way. I need to send Fawcett the screenshot that uh, <laughs> demonstrates that Big UD is is uh, one of five new Patreon subscribers. Um, so shout out to shout out to the big man. Well, if he has uh, any if, if he has any requests for video content for video breakdowns, I would be happy to. Yeah, supply. thank you, Mr. Haslam. Thank you, thank you, Udonis, for subscribing. I don't even know if, if you listen, my man. So like maybe you just did that <laughs> to be nice. Who knows? We appreciate it. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great question. A great point about the kind of changing face of of senior night uh, in the portal era. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like it, it used to be like a truly semi-regular thing where you have multiple four-year guys and the other guys on the right. roster are two or three-year guys who have been on the roster with these guys for two or three years. And it was like, it truly was a semi-regular thing where it was like the home team that is good is like suddenly down 14 to one because guys just were bawling their eyes out at center court. Um, with their fifth parents and family and, you know, people in the student section that they've been going to class with for four years. And, and like, it was, it was just a legitimate thing where like, and I remember like we talked about this podcast, we're like, Oh man, are the Gators going to come up flat? And like, I do feel like to an extent those, we don't have those conversations anymore. Like, you know, maybe the Gator, maybe it's emotional, but I, I think it's still special. But um, yeah, I just like, I just remember, I just, it's like a relic of like a previous era of college basketball to like legitimately be like, oh man, are they going to be able to like refocus after like crying at, at, at half court and like receiving a framed jersey? And um, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe that happens, but like, no, I kind of feel like it's another game, you know? Yeah. You know, and I love that. So I've had Florida fans tell me like the most emotional they've been at a Florida sporting event was the 2014 senior day with Wilbekin, Prather, Young, and you get. And then, like, I've talked to Will, you get about it, and he was like, yeah, for, like, 10 minutes, I couldn't focus. Like, I played terrible in that game. Um, meanwhile, Patrick Young was like, I was so fired up, I just went out, and, like, I could have run through a wall. And, like, you look at the box score, and, like, those two statements check out. Like, if you look back at the box score of that game, like, Pat Young just dominated everyone. Um, and eight and like, will you get was like two of seven from the floor, like didn't have his usual nine rebounds, you know, like clearly it was just like in a bit of a fog. Um, and those things definitely, like, those things happen. Now that's like a very rare group of seniors that, you know, they went to what four early dates and, and started together for three years and all that stuff. But still, uh, yeah, I mean, that's not, doesn't seem like that's even that long ago. Um, 10 years ago, right? And that's how much college basketball has changed in that period of time. But it'll be a fun one Tuesday night, Eric. Yeah, I, I, I think this is, um, hey, like hot take when the Gators' um, last game of the season is is against uh, Vanderbilt um, on the road. <laughs> Maybe not going to be the same amount of buzz than like Alabama yeah. at, at home. But, uh, um, but hey, it's also a game where you lose to Alabama and if maybe it's not – particularly pretty then suddenly a Vanderbilt game on the road with Vanderbilt having nothing really to play for becomes um, a little bit of a, a, a scary uh, outcome. So right. yeah, yeah. I, I think like, Hey, this is a, uh, um, you, you could, you could see a world where like 
if the Gators don't win this one, we know the Gators have not looked great in the SEC tournament in recent years under multiple coaching staffs. So it's kind of feels like it's a thing, um, you know, and you get, you get bounced in, you can see a situation where the Gators get bounced in a competitive game and game one of the SEC tournament. And then it's like, suddenly like, Oh, well, it looks like the Gators are stuck as a seven or eight seed. Um, and in that scenario, maybe an eight, maybe in the eight, nine game, um, actually that would probably be the, probably be likely and that's the one that of course you want to stay out of um something we've talked about on the podcast before um when the gators were in this range years ago we're like i think we'd rather the gators be a 10 seed than an eight or a nine just because you want to avoid that one seed in the second uh second round though hey nowadays in college basketball maybe it means you end up playing a 16 it certainly worked out for dusty main florida atlantic <laughs> to be in the eight nine game things uh things broke pretty magically for them but uh yeah huge game um could be the last you know really consequential one where we're talking about um until uh until we see a bracket so uh, hopefully it's not hopefully the gators go on a big sec tournament run but uh um there's a chance this is the last like big big game um we have before um before the big dance so uh yeah let's uh if you're the gators let's see if we can get up a c9 yeah no doubt huge one um go gators keep attacking closeouts keep attacking closeouts go gators whatever however we it, it's a thing all right. 